You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, it's good to be here. For those that don't know me, my name's Gary Hopkins. Um, I and my wife, Judy, have been attending Real Life for, I think, over 10 years. We've been here a long time. We've been here through all the uh, transitions and moves and all that kind of stuff. Excited to be part of this congregation. Um, This is uh, the last of the Share, Connect, Minister, Disciple series. And I'm excited to share with you kind of the disciple part of it. Uh, These four things, Share, uh, Connect, Minister, Disciple, are really kind of the four pillars, if you will, of Real Life Church. It's what we're about. It's what our vision is. Um, And it's really a progression. It's uh, finding ways to share with people about Jesus and how to invite them into relationship. And it's about how to connect them, how to get them involved, not just in the church, but in small group and in developing that relationship. And then as we kind of turn the corner from what God does in us, it's about how we express that, how we impact other people. It's how we minister, finding ways, finding our niche, if you will, to how to be used by God and impacting our congregation in different ways and our community. And then finally, the last uh, component is disciple. And uh, I'm excited to share that part with you. In some ways, I'm excited because I had kind of misunderstood or had a different picture, or maybe not a clear picture of what disciple was for a number of years. I had to learn and appreciate and really um, experience the joy of what disciple is. So I'm excited to unpack that with you this morning. Let's, uh, let's get started. Um, first question, is disciple a noun or a verb? Yes. Yes. Yes is the right answer. It's one of those great questions. Whatever you answered would have been correct. Um, it is both, and it's important to understand that disciple is both. It's both what I am as well as what I do. And it really, to be a, a clear picture of disciple, it needs to be both. Um, I used to think that disciple was kind of this master's level, this graduate level of what it means to follow Jesus. Like, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do my best. And, but disciple, that's, that's up here somewhere. That's kind of a second level, graduate 201. Uh, I have to learn a lot more. I have to do a lot more. Then maybe I'll be a disciple. But that's for the upper crust. And that's not the picture that we should have, or certainly not the picture of the Bible or Jesus uh, paints. So let's, uh, let's go to our first verse here and unpack what... Gee, well, there it is. It was quick. Um, this is when Jesus is first calling his disciples. And he gives this very short but very uh, powerful statement that in this one statement kind of encapsulated what it means to be a disciple. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's both what we are in him and what we're designed to be doing in him. Um, But I love that middle part. He didn't say, follow me and catch other people and win other people to me. Because that would have been ineffective. Because we're not equipped for that. He teaches us as we go. Uh, Last week I was in uh, Texas with some great college friends, some of which are here. I think they will look, there they are. And uh, we're on this great ranch, if you will. And on this ranch we're two, three fishing ponds where they'd stock and they had bass in there. 
I never fished for bass. Um, and I've done some fishing, mostly the line thing, opening day fishing, you're guaranteed to catch and don't have to learn much. Um, but the guy, Ryan, who owns a place, said, hey, you want to go try bass fishing? I said, I'd love to. And uh, he said, well, how about you can use the fly rod? <laughs> hmm, that's great. Um, but he didn't say, follow me and here's your rod. He said, hey, follow me down to this dock and here's what we're going to put on your line. And we're, fish, we're fishing for bass. They kind of like the action. So when you toss it out there, you kind of move it in fairly fast because they like to go for that. And I, okay, all these things, I would have been lost without it. And then I would fly fished maybe 40 years ago. It's been a while. And uh, so I kind of had to relearn the old whiplash thing or how you do that. And so he was helping me with that. And after 10, 15 minutes of instruction, I started catching a couple bass. Kind of exciting. But I mention that just because sometimes we think we enter this relationship with Jesus and then it's up to us. And what does he want me to do? But it's really a a relationship. It's a partnership. Um, And that's really key. So let's unpack the first one. Uh, What does it mean to be a disciple? What does that look like? Um, and no better description than one Jesus gives, kind of in that last days with his disciples. He's trying to give them a clearer picture as possible. What, is it, what does it look like um, to follow me? What's it look like to be a disciple? And so here it is in John 15. I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it, bear, it may bear more fruit. Go ahead and use the next one. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I want to back up real quick now that we've read the first two sections there. Because I always misunderstood this. In fact, if you go back to the first slide, back one, there you go. Um, He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And in some, he says he removes And that's really a bad translation because it gives you the impression that, hey, okay, I've entered this relationship with Jesus. And if I don't bear fruit, he's going to remove me. And you're kind of always wondering, am I bearing enough fruit? Am I doing enough stuff for Jesus? And that's not what that translation really means. A better way to say that, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up would be a better, clearer translation. Because it already says if you're already clean, you're already in a good place with me. Because the word I've spoken, the word you've accepted, you're in a relationship. It's my job, Jesus would say, to bear that fruit in you. Um, So uh, that could be a picture of a a branch that kind of maybe gets on the ground. And it's not going to be able to produce fruit. The vine dresser will come along and lift that branch up. Uh, Maybe we need that sometimes. We need to be encouraged. I'm not bearing fruit. Um, And it's not like I need to work at it. It's I need to be lifted up. I need to be encouraged um, so that he can do that in me. So we'll continue. Um, Back boom, I'm the vine. Oh, there we are. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And I think there's one. Oh, there's one more. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch. That's the only time somebody's removed is they're not in him. They're not remaining. They're not sticking with him. Um, those are the branches that get cast out and gathered and thrown into the fire. They're burned. Um, so that's the picture 
of what it means. If you look at that, if you read it again, you'd notice, or maybe you noticed already, he uses two words in there often. Uh, abide or remain uh, in me, connected to the vine. Um, he uses that seven times in eight verses. This must be important. Maybe that's what he's really focusing on. It's all about sticking with him. It's not about what you do. It's about sticking with Jesus. Uh, and then he uses fruit, the term fruit, five times. So we better understand what those two things really mean if we want to understand what it means to bear fruit or to be a disciple. Um, so fruit, first thing I would say is what fruit is not. Fruit is not what we do. Fruit is not what we do. That was one of the misunderstandings I had. I kind of believed you give your life to Jesus and then it's up to me to kind of look at my life and try to live better, take care of things that I don't like about myself, um, things that, I, that need attention I need to take care of. I need to, I need to bear fruit for Jesus. It really means the fruit is the way I lived my life, the things I did. And that's a very um, unclear picture of what, he, what he's really getting at. Um, in other words, for me, it meant I was probably more concerned the first 15 years of following Jesus. Not that I didn't have a relationship, not that I didn't work on that, but I was probably more concerned about building an image than I was building a relationship. And I don't know about you, but that's an exhausting, draining process. It takes a lot of energy to project an image. It takes a lot of energy to protect an image or defend an image. And it just isn't the way Jesus wants that to be. Again, if there's things I don't like about myself, give it to him. Stay connected. The answer should always be, if how do I bear for, um, stick with him, abide in him? Spend time with him. He takes care of that. Our only job is to stick with him. His job is to transform us. His job is to produce the things in our life that we want to see. Um, so, um, I wrote this down here. We don't need to know more about Jesus. We need to know Jesus more. Um, we don't need to know more about Jesus. We need to know... Jesus more. If all you did in your relationship with Jesus was hang out, spend time, build that relationship, stay connected, that's everything. He does the rest. Um, so that is what it means to abide. That's the priority of what it means to abide. Um, so what is the fruit if it's not the, oh wait, one more verse here. Um, this, is a, this is a verse that kind of bothered me for a while. I didn't quite understand it, but in context of what we're talking about, it's, it's really a very uh, profound verse. Jesus is talking about kind of the end. When it's all done, you can look at the end of your life or the judgment day, whatever. But he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? We did many wonders in your name. These are people that are not kind of entry level. These are people that are Gosh, they understand who Jesus is. They believe he's got power. They can use his name to do a number of things. But here's what Jesus says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You could say, you never remained in me. It didn't stick with me. You thought your job was to just do all this stuff for me. Even if it's right. You can do, it's possible, I think is what he's saying. It's possible to do amazing things in the name of Jesus and not know him. Um, that's a scary thought. But I want to encourage us to, to just dwell on the idea that 
hey, it is very freeing to, to just our only job is to stick with him. Um, so what is the fruit? That would be the next question. And this is in Matthew, or excuse me, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, well, two things about that verse. One is, it's not your fruit. <laughs> it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It really, those, that's a description of the characteristics of Jesus. So as we stick to the vine, his job is to transform us. We become more like him. We start to display his fruit, not out of effort, but out of sticking with him. We become more loving. We become more peaceful. All the things we want, we get not by striving for or not by trying to correct in our life. We do it by being connected to him. That's what it means uh, to be a disciple. Um, another verse which I love, really one I've just discovered fairly recently, or at least in a new way. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I think he's kind of referring to, you know, a lot of people get the wrong idea of what it means to even just follow Jesus. What's it mean to be in a relationship and they think they have to do all the right things, follow the law, be a good person, live a moral life. Without relationship, it's meaningless. But a lot of people, again, it's, it's, it's slavery. I got to do all this stuff. And he's saying, don't fall into that same trap once you begin with me. Don't then think it's up to you. Again, our job is to stick with him. As we enjoy that freedom of just being with him, he makes us what we need to be. He takes care of those, those things that bug us in our life. Um, one, one quick example, when I, I was a senior in high school when I began this journey. And thankful, thankfully, my young life leader gave me great words of wisdom because I said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but I have got this mouth that is horrible. And I don't want to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then every third sentence have these incredibly bad words come out. And he said, you know, that's not your job. He said, your job is to follow him. He'll take care of that. And that was great because I knew I couldn't. You know, it was a habit I had. And it was like every other word, kind of like, you know, you know, kind of get, you know what I mean? Um, and it really was true. As I began to follow him and I was more concerned about just having that relationship, that changed my heart. And now I couldn't use those words anymore. They just didn't come out. I didn't have to work on it. I just had to work on him. Um, so that's the joy he gives us. And then he makes us what we're supposed to be so that, now we're entering the verb part of this, um, if we get a clear picture of what that is, then discipling is a natural process. Because it's really just reproducing what you have been doing. Discipling as a verb is just continuing to follow him and invite somebody else into that process. Um, and really that was the plan that Jesus had to win the world. He only had one plan. There was no plan B. Um, he had some choices. You know, as God, he could, he could tell a good story. He could talk to people. He could win people over. And he did. I mean, he spoke to big crowds. Lots of people were in, loved to hear what he had to say. And a lot of people believed in him because of the words he said. But that was not his plan to win the world. Uh, his plan was, 
I'm going to invest in a few. I'm going to disciple some people. So he had his crowd, but then he, out of that, he had his 12. And those are the ones he invested in day in, day out, lived with him. And even of those 12, he had his three, Peter, James, John. And since he's saying, I want you to be like me. I want you to do what I do. I want to reproduce myself in you, which is kind of intimidating. But again, if it's not something we're working at, but just allowing him to do, uh, he will do that. And as we do that, it attracts other people. Then we can disciple others. Uh, A guy named uh, John Coleman, Robert Coleman. Coleman um, wrote a book called Master Plan of Evangelism. And in that book, he talked about the two ways Jesus could have gone about it, winning the world. And he said if Jesus won a thousand people every day to follow him, a thousand a day, it would take 32,000 years to win the world to Christ. But if Jesus duplicated himself, if he reproduced himself in one person, he did many more than that. But if he just did one, and that one person reproduced themselves in another, and that person reproduced themselves in another, just one a year, the world would be one in about 35 years. <laughs> kind of astounding when you think about it. But it's that doubling effect. And I think sometimes we, in our insecurity, we don't engage in that plan. We're kind of just more concerned about, I just want to know how to follow Jesus. But following Jesus, the real joy of it is sharing that with somebody else and growing in that uh, relationship. So a couple of verses there. Uh, Matthew, this is the last thing that Jesus said as he, uh, the Great Commission. And it really says, uh, this is, Thank you for changing that translation. As you go, but it really should be better read, as you are going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love that translation because it's really, as you're following me, as you're going, do that with others. Make them a part of your journey. And that will change the world. Um, another verse says, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Again, it's not, I have to get to this certain level where I'm secure about teaching people about Jesus or I'm trying to convince people what it means to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, invite other people into that process. Uh, You might say, but I don't think I'm qualified. I don't know enough. I'm not mature enough. I haven't grown up enough in him. I don't know enough Bible verses. I can't answer questions. Um, I would answer, if you are serious about following him, if your focus, if your desire is to stay connected, then you're qualified. I think Jesus would say that. And, uh, well, I'll give you one more verse, and I'll tell you this story to kind of illustrate that. But this kind of goes along with that story. Uh, In Timothy, it says, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust other reliable men and women who will do the same. Um, That there's this process of being intentional. Look for those that can do what you're doing. Look for those that you would be willing to invest in and see what they do. Um, That they would continue this process. Um, So now I have to tell you about Lloyd. Lloyd is one of my favorite stories. 15 years ago, uh, Judy, my wife, she's over here somewhere. Oh, there she is. Um, We moved to Malawi, Africa. Um, where we began Young Life in Malawi, which was a, an incredible experience. 
But in that culture, um, and it's true in most third world countries, certainly true of most African countries, when you move there, if you live there, you have workers that work in your house, around your house. We had a gardener, we had a housekeeper cook, we had a guard, two guards. And, uh, you know, at first that's kind of awkward to enter that culture and feel like there's people working for you. Like, I, I can make my own meals, I can do my own thing. But it really meant we had an opportunity to impact, uh, really, those maybe four workers represented 20-plus people we were able to bless, kids that we were able to help pay for their uh, school, uh, extra food we could give, just having a relationship impacting those people. And that was our desire. Not everybody did that, but we desired to. So Lloyd, our gardener, um, he knew English when he was a young boy, as he grew up, but he didn't really engage the people he worked with. But in his entire life, he was 45 years old when I met him, had four kids, and never lived anywhere but on the property of people he worked for. Um, That was his kind of life. Um, But we wanted to engage our workers. So we paid for him and our other workers to, to go to English classes. And Judy and I took some chichewa, kind of a nice word. And uh, we learned to communicate. It took about six months before we could really have a, a good dialogue with each other. Um, so all of that is background to say, one day, um, Lloyd is outside. And Lloyd is a very energetic guy, athletic guy. Um, just loved to, to do things. And Judy noticed that Lloyd is kind of um, being pretty lethargic, and he looked like he wasn't doing well. So she goes out and says, Lloyd, you, you, uh, are you okay? Are you sick? He goes, oh, yes, yes, madam, I, I am sick. Well, Lloyd, do you know what? Uh, well, I think I have malaria. <laughs> okay. Um, so first thing Judy says, of course, uh, we had learned, we got referred to, there's a Malawian doctor downtown, 10-minute drive. Uh, we'll take you to the doctor. It costs $8 to go see the doctor, and he'll give you some pills. Malaria's gone in two days. So Judy just said, hey, you want to go to the doctor, and we'll take care of this? Oh, no, my church does not believe in medicine. <laughs> That's a great doctrine in Africa. Belong to a church that doesn't believe in medicine. It took us a while to kind of piece together, asking some people, what is this church? And it turns out it's a cult church from South Africa that was prevalent in Malawi. And Lloyd was actually a leader in this church. So that was his intro. And uh, so when I got home, I had a chat with Lloyd. And uh, so I said again, Lloyd, I understand you're sick. Oh, yes. You might have malaria? Yes, I think it might be malaria. And tell me again why you wouldn't want to get medicine. Oh, my church does not believe in medicine. And I said, well, Lloyd, do you... Let me ask you a question. Do you drink the water that comes out of the tap in your house? Oh, yes. It's good water, clean water. I said, yeah. Do you know why it's clean? Because I put chlorine in the water. It's medicine for the water so you don't get sick. Ooh. (laughs) You can tell these wheels are turning. And God gave me this one, too. I just, well, Lloyd, you grow corn, don't you? Oh, yes. I knew, knew we did. Everybody had a kind of little plot, half acre, acre, where they grow corn for their family. And it's really the only crop they grow. Almost every Malawian grows their corn. And in a good year, they may have enough uh, to feed their family. Um, and I said, well, Lloyd, do you, you do grow corn, don't you? Oh, yes, I have. Two months ago, I planted my crop. Oh, well, that's awesome. I said, you don't fertilize your crops, do you? 
Oh, yes. Yes, it makes more corn. Take care of my family better. I said, oh, you realize that the fertilizer is medicine for your crops. And he says this, which is profound. You must tell me more about your God. I hadn't talked to him at all about God, but somehow he picked up in this dialogue that there's something about you and there's something about God that I don't know. Um, So we began that day. We started meeting every Friday at lunchtime at noon on our back deck, our deck, Condi. And uh, he would be there with his Chichewa Bible. I would be there with my Bible. And we'd just decide to go through the book of uh, John. Just go through a chapter a week. And not to teach him about Jesus, but to discover what does it look like? Who is this Jesus? And what does it look like to follow him? And so, again, John 1 the word became flesh and dwelt among us and what that means and how he wants to be with us. And John 2 was changed water into wine and just the miracle and the way he lavishes on us. And then I knew John 3 was coming up. Nicodemus, this religious guy that thought he was doing all the right things. So that Friday, uh, he is bouncing around the yard and waiting for me to come home and asking Judy, Mr. Gettick coming today. Yes, I, I must talk to him. Okay. So I get him home about 5 to 12. He's on the back deck with his Bible open. And uh, I said, well, Lloyd, did you read? Oh, yes. Yes, I read. I am Nicodemus. I am very religious. But I am not born again. You must tell me how I'd be born again. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? So we had this great conversation. And Lloyd enters into a relationship with Jesus. We continue to meet for the next couple months. Um, and then about that time, about eight weeks into this process, uh, as we're coming back from church one Sunday, there's a group of about 15 people that are walking out of his half of the workers' quarters, which is really one bedroom where he and his four kids and wife stayed. There's like 15 people walking out of this one bedroom. And my first thought is, you know, I was worried because I thought, you know, about once a month, workers were asking to take some time off because there was a funeral. Somebody had died of age or somebody that was terribly sick with malaria or something so I'm, so Monday morning rolls around and I said well Lloyd did you uh, everything okay? Oh yes I said well I noticed there were like a lot of people coming out of your house yesterday oh yes Well, who, who were they? Oh they're from my church, my old church I said well <laughs> yes I want them to know about my God he's invited people from his church to come discover about God he discovered and now I'm getting worried. <laughs> well, who's leading? Well, I, I do. I teach them. Oh, gosh, I'm going, well, Lloyd, what are you teaching them? What do you, tell me what your lesson plan is. <laughs> and he said this, you teach me, I teach them. So here on Fridays, we've been going through a chapter each week. And on Sundays, he's inviting people to come. And he's probably just talking about the same thing. And it was drawn more and more people. What a great picture of disciple. And what a great picture of what it means to be qualified to be a disciple. Lloyd's only concern was, I'm going to follow this Jesus and I'm going to invite other people to do it. And God did transform him. It's an awesome story. Um, So my question would be, well, who, is there somebody in your life that did that in your life? Somebody that invited you? Somebody that shared with you? Got you connected? Is there somebody that, showed you what it was like to follow Jesus, that gave you that start. 
Um, and maybe more importantly, is there somebody that either you are or you can think of, you know, I should be, I should be inviting this person, that woman, that guy to walk with me and figure this out together. That's what discipling um, really is. Um, in that, in these number of years, I've discovered that witness, I didn't lisp, witness is more valuable than witness. Um, Because in our ministry and doing Young Life, um, you know, we spent a lot of our first years just trying to get kids to say yes to Jesus, which was great. And we were successful at it. And we had a lot of kids that said yes. Um, But being with them, walking with them, created much deeper relationships and students that would want to do the same thing. Um, So I, uh, I would say this about that. Um, people don't want a roadmap to follow or an owner's manual to follow so much as they want a friend to walk through life with. And that really is, to me, a great picture of what discipleship is. In, uh, in what we do with Young Life College, that's kind of our, our model. Is we, yeah, we have outreach things. We share Jesus in larger groups, what we call club. Um, but we also have small groups uh, where we get... 10, 12, 14, 20 um, students together again talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus. And, uh, and out of those, there are some that just say, yeah, I want to do this. And they continue. I want to just have you walk up here. There's a little visual demo I want to share with you, which I think will be fun. Uh, this is my wife, Judy. Oh, look. Let's give her a hand. Um, uh, Judy is really probably, well, without a doubt, um, in our 40 years of being together, 41 years, <laughs> um, she's the most gifted person I know, and just not just pursuing Jesus in a great way, but just being intentional with, who can I share this with? Who can I uh, invest in? Not a ton, not who, how many people can I share with, but who can I invest in? And uh, I'm just going to give you one slice, because this could be duplicated a number of ways, but this is just kind of one branch of, of that being intentional and what it means to disciple. So about three years ago, uh, Judy has a group, small group, um, number of them are already leaders in young life, but just pouring into them and encouraging them. And one of those was Kyla. Kyla, come on over here. That was, she is, uh, one of those 10 or so that year, three years ago. And, uh, Kyla became a Young Life College leader and said, I, I want to do what Judy does. I want to be that person for other young women. And probably 20 or so, like thinking, oh, I have a small group of eight or 10. And like 20 said, I want to be part of that. Not because you're the greatest teacher in the world, because I've watched you. I want to see what you, I want to know what you're doing. I want to be a part of that. And so she kind of managed with these 20 but I must say, it wasn't a once-a-week deal. It was, it was being intentional with a few in that group that she could live life with more. And in that group were three in particular. There's Ellie, Annika, and Jenna that all were involved two years ago. Uh, last year, they became leaders and had their small group, and they had 40 girls that showed up. Okay, we'll divide. Uh, they were actually four of them at that point, and they created a couple small groups and tried to manage that, and out of that, 
were a couple more. Oh, there they are, Bree, Georgia, Emily. Um, and again, this, isn't, this, is just a, this is just a representation, but these are probably the ones that, you know, of the 12 became the three or the two that I really want to invest in. And this, this branch, if you will, probably represents close to 100 young college women here at WSU that have been impacted because somebody said, I want to invest in you and I want you to know what it can look like to follow Jesus. And you can do what I do. Uh, that's part of being a disciple. And so this represents, I mean, almost all, I think every one of these are leaders today, but they're all involved in small group. And now I look around over the last three years, the same time period, one girl's over in France doing this. In Grenoble, France, we've got two others on staff in Yakima, and we've got some leading small groups, campaigner groups with middle school kids or high school kids in Seattle, Tacoma, different places. All because, just begin this process and see what God wants to do. How rich and full is that? Um, so anyway, I just wanted to give you that visual picture and uh, can fade off. We're going to wrap up uh, our time with a time of communion. So if those that are serving communion would go ahead and uh, pass out the elements. Again, a reminder that here at Real Life, we're an open table. Uh, we invite anyone that, again, desires to follow Jesus, that believes in him, to take part in uh, sharing communion with us. Um, I would also say that picture, I would love to just offer an invitation to everyone here to say, hey, if you're not, hey, if you're not in a small group, if you're not in an environment where discipleship is happening, uh, that would be my first uh, invitation is to, is to do that, to join a home group. Um, and for those that are in a home group, I would just invite you to take that next step, being intentional. And it may be for some, it's like, you know, I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody to pour more into me, not just the once a week home group thing. Um, so you may just enter into that. I, I kind of look at discipleship as kind of this chain, if you will, that you step into this relationship and you're following somebody that's leading you in this and you're looking behind you and saying, well, who, who can I invite to come with me? And so, if, again, if you're in a home group, I would ask you to just kind of pray about that. Think about that. What could that look like? Because if we did that, if we were serious about that, not doing more for Jesus, but just experiencing more of Jesus and sharing that with people, um, it would radically change this congregation. It would change the culture of the college. It would change our community. Because um, in a four-year time period, there would be hundreds of people whose lives are positively changed because people invested in each other, walked this journey together. So that's my invitation. Um, as we are uh, about to take this, I, there's just three kind of follow-up questions or applications uh, to look at. And the first one is, there on the board, reflection. There it is, reflection. Oh, there it is. Uh, where are you in the progression? And we talked about a disciple is somebody who follows to be transformed by Jesus, to bear fruit, so that they are able to do that with someone else. So just as you look at your own walk, um, where are you in that process? Um, and then second, maybe you're kind of like I was, you know, is, are you more about building an image or a relationship? 
Um, or is building an image exhausting for you? Because it was for me for a number of years. Um, and to consider what, what you could do differently. What could you do to focus more on just being free to focus on the relationship and let him take care of the stuff that you're unable to take care of anyway? And then thirdly, um, who is someone you could walk with? Disciple. Who is somebody that might disciple you? Uh, how do you enter into that uh, richness of knowing Jesus in that way? Again, we don't need to know more about Jesus. We just need to know Jesus more. Um, so, we, uh, I think it's a great way to transition to communion because, again, when Jesus died for us, when he got his disciples together and said, remember me in this way, he did it so we could be free to know him in ways that we couldn't before. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he took bread, he broke it, he blessed it, and he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the, the covenant of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you do this in remembrance of me until we're together again. So let's do that. Jesus, uh, we are so thankful for the freedom you give us, the joy you give us that following you and, and being involved with you is, is not a, a task to be accomplished, but a relationship to be enjoyed. So I pray that we would uh, enter into that freedom more. Uh, thank you for those around us who have encouraged us, that have been a part of um, helping us know what it means to know you better. And I pray for those around us that we could um, impact if we just invite them, if we're more intentional. Um, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.